How's it going, ENC Podcast listeners? Thanks for tuning in to week two of Conversations That Matter. Uh, this week, we are being joined by the same exact uh, group as we had last week. Hi, I'm Jack Connell. I'm, I'm the president of the college. Hey, I'm Stephanie Jones, a GA. Shelby hey. Robinson, also a GA. Andy Edward, current student. Cindy Pyres, I'm also a current student. And Jeff Kirksey, vice president for student development. All right, everybody, and thank you for joining us back in for this episode. Um, so we're gonna jump right into a comment that Steph had made in our previous episode. Uh, Stephanie was speaking about a global mindset. Steph, do you think you could walk us through again what, what you were saying about that and what you mean by global mindset? Sure, um, so a global mindset is someone who <clears throat> embraces culture, embraces diversity, embraces change. Um, you can go into any location, you can go into any place and you can adopt the culture. Um, you actually look forward to adopting the culture because you want to learn. Again, I think the privilege is being surrounded by different cultures, not just being surrounded by your own. Um, so when you're culturally privileged, you have that global mindset because you know people from all walks of life. You know what I mean? So we have representatives of that uh, with Jesus, uh, with Paul. You know, Paul became all things to all people. You know what I mean? For what? To win them to Christ. So when you have that global mindset, you see people as God sees them and you look at them from that point of like, I love your culture. I love who you are. Still honoring my own because I love you, because I have the love of Christ in my heart for you. I see your culture, I acknowledge it, I celebrate it, and I wanna know more about it so we can all know about each other. And I feel like if you have a global mindset, it's hard to believe the stereotypes we see on TV. If you know me, Stephanie, as the person, you won't generalize it for all black people. You know, you'll say, okay, I know this person, and then I know this person, and this person, and that person, and it's conversations, and it's us coming in contact with each other, learning each other. That's how you get the global mindset. It's appreciating cultures and for what they are. Well, thank you for that reminder. So uh, we're just going to jump in and pose the question for everybody in the group to discuss with what, what Steph just said about a global mindset. The question we want to ask today is how can ENC get to a place where it has a global mindset? Uh, does ENC already have a global mindset? Uh, is it strong? Is it weak? And if not, what steps can we take to get to a place? where all of ENC, ENC being students, faculty, staff, even alumni, in a place where we can say that we effectively have a global mindset? Um, personally for me, um, I think a, a good place to start to have a, a global mindset is to really um, explore um, different um, students' ethnic backgrounds, their culture, where they're from, um, because, you know, uh, you know, really just having a global mindset also, you know, it's shaped by, you know, by culture and it shapes our behavior and it influences a lot of our ways. So I think, you know, taking the time to, you know, also to finding out about students and where they're from, where they're raised, you know, their parents, it can also uh, play a significant role and also even to uh, you know hiring some employees um, uh, and making maybe uh, leaders or employees head of whoever in ENC a little bit more diverse that can also uh, play a significant role um, because 
you know, the, you know, sometimes people are just, they're just not aware and they're not informed about certain things. And, you know, we, we can't blame people for not knowing um, some people, it's just not how they were raised. Um, it wasn't something that was really important in their community, in their household to know about these things. So um, I think it really starts with, you know, leadership, uh, people in position, making it diverse, and also to the students who are of color and from different ethnics and backgrounds and cultures and communities, wherever countries, um, finding a little bit more about them, um, still being secure in who we are as a faith-based school, but also, um, you know, just making the environment a little bit more open and welcoming so every person can feel, you know, welcomed and a, a sense of home because, you, you know, you want ENC to feel like home, like a home away from home, which is, you know, you, obviously you can't please everybody, but I believe one of the things that when people come to ENC, whether they're working there or as a student, one of the things, if they leave ENC, you want them to take away like, yo, you know, um, I might not agree with certain things, this and the third, but it's very diverse and they're welcoming to all cultures and backgrounds. And that's one of the things I really believe is gonna propel this institution and uh, really, you know, draw a lot of, you know, different people to um, Eastern Nazarene College. And if, if you don't mind me asking, I mean, has ENC, to what extent has ENC felt like home to you? or to any of you know any of the rest of you has it has it been an environment in which you have felt embraced and welcomed and known and loved and affirmed and and if not in what ways how, how could we improve is that a fair question yes that's absolutely a fair question um i think personally for me this is just for me personally yeah um because it was a faith-based school, I was already just like, okay, where this is great. Um, I can be around peers and, you know, different professors and talk about Christ and learn um, different things. But growing up in like, you know, when I went to elementary school, middle school, high school, um, learning about the African-American history and heritage wasn't something that was popular in the schools that I went to. So like, you know, everything that I kind of really know, you know, the basic things, you know, Christopher Columbus and, you know, just kind of the European white, you know, school mm -hmm. education that they teach to, you know, each person. So, but personally for me as an African-American at ENC, um, I never really thought it was a place that I would call, I would say home for African-American. I just felt like it was just like school before, you know, we have the month in February and then we learn about these things. You know, we talk about Martin and Malcolm and these other influential African-American figures. And then that's really just it. But personally for me, if we're talking just basic, just specifically on, African-American her heritage and background. No, I wouldn't really say that it's a place of home. Um, and even sometimes even in the faith base, it's a little different. Cause I know when I first came, you know, some, I would say certain things and they're just like, oh, you're not Nazarene. 
Like we get, cause there's a certain way that Nazarenes talk. There's a certain way that Nazarenes carry themselves. And they're just like, yeah, we, 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 yeah. All right. Yeah. Whatever. And then just kind of let's brush it out. One of the things I noticed is just like when you're different, uh, even professors do it. They'll just be like, yeah, sure. Like they, that's something that is so common and it's just really like, oh yeah, cool. And then it just kind of go away. But there's never really, I feel like a connection spiritually because of the fact that we're in different denominations. So that's what, that's what makes it kind of tough to call it a home spiritually and also a home if we're talking about like African-American heritage and culture and, and not even just African-American, but just Mexican-American and Hispanic, Asian, whatever it might be. So it's just my thoughts on that. Yeah, thank you. Anybody else want to take a run at that question or it's okay if not? I'm not. Yeah, the I was, I was not waiting for Cindy. I didn't know if Cindy wanted to talk or I was going to. I was actually going to ask, can we repeat the question? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Well, Andy just made a comment about how important it is for to, for a place to feel like home. And I was just wondering if that had been his experience here at ENC, that what, what makes it feel like home or what perhaps doesn't make it feel like home, um, particularly as a person of color. Okay, so for me, I would say it's a little hard for me to speak on it because I'm a commuter student. I'm a mom of two. So I don't spend too much time on campus other than the time that I have to spend there. Um, but in that time for me, it does feel like home because I'm connected with like a group of people. I've always been in larger schools. Um, I graduated my high school class of 900 students. Um, so just the fact that it's small does make um does make it feel comfortable and i also i didn't grow up in the church so like what andy was saying i'm not nazarene either and i didn't grow up in the church so i think that plays a big part and like andy said it's just kind of like you're different so it's it's okay but it doesn't get touched on yeah. um it's almost overlooked in a sense like it's okay you're different but we're gonna teach you this um but other than that um it does feel like home. The Office of Spiritual Development is my little home when I'm there. Um, that's where I spend most of my time. But like I said, that's my own fault. I'm not on campus as much, so I feel like I can't really speak to that sense. Mm -hmm. One thing I just want to touch real quick before you speak, Stephanie. Um, what uh, The thing about home, like there are some people who are home, but corporately, collectively together as a campus, I wouldn't say it's home. Like, you know, me and Bubba, we have a great relationship. So it's like, I'm home. Me and Shelby, we have a good relationship. It's like, I'm home. Stephanie, Cindy, it, it's like, I'm home. So it's, it, 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 I'm not trying to say like, oh my God, don't come to ENC, you run. Like, no, that's not what we're saying. Um, I believe that you can have an experience with certain individuals um, that will mean like make you feel comfortable. You know, you, you're willing to talk. You can laugh and be yourself. Um, but I, I think collectively, all together as a campus, yeah, there's some things that we can definitely work on. Sorry, Steph, you can go ahead. No, you're good. I'll be brief. I mean, both of you touched on what I would have said. Um, I think from going to a commuter status to someone who lives on campus, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say 
that um, it's not home. I mean, I, I would say it's home in a way, um, probably similarly like Andy's saying, so I grew up in the church, so coming to chapel, you know what I mean, having a life of prayer or talking about God, like that's something that I grew up with, you know what I mean? So that part, I was like, okay, this is home. And that I could be at my job, like a place who pays me and not have to be careful if I, if I can say God, you know, I'm like, okay, that's home for me. That's good. Um, but culturally, I mean, it's different. It's completely different. Songs sung in chapel is just different. Um, so I don't even know how we invite other cultures into that. I think we need to. Um, so I don't know what that looks like. Um, I think we tried in chapel to, and I think tried and succeeded in chapel to incorporate um, different cultures in, in chapel. I think that was good. I think it felt more like home. You know what I mean? It wasn't just when the gospel choir got up there, but it was all the chapel teams kind of committing to that, committing to in, inviting other cultures in. So that's what made it home for me. So yeah, I think it's home, but can we improve on making it um, homey for everyone else? Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? Just different ways. But we also have to contend with this is a Nazarene school. We're, we're not like um, on an island. It's, it's, there, there are different things that are regulated from, you know, from higher up from the district and things like that. So I think we are one of the most um, culturally aware for, for this region, you know what I mean? And I think we are open. I think we're a lot, a lot, I think we're a lot open. I think there's a lot of openness in us, a lot of understanding and a lot of growth and trying, you know what I mean? But um, it's hard for us to create different things because we are under a, a Nazarene banner, if, if that makes sense. So uh, <clears throat> a definition of home that I like to use a lot is just a place where I feel tangible love. Uh, and tangible really is the key word there. Home is a place where, uh, you know, I have genuine love for everyone around me and a place where I can say that I genuinely and undoubtedly am loved by the people that I'm around. And when, I, when we think of home in a definition like that, a place where you feel love, not just where you hear love, but a place where you can feel love, how can ENC become home for other cultures as we're talking about, for cultures that aren't in the, the mainstream focus of ENC? How can those cultures and students feel the tangible love of ENC? Is there a way to progress that? You know, Bob, I was thinking earlier, like, you know, every, about every two years we do, uh, we do um, the national survey on student engagement. And one of the things that ENC always stands out above um, kind of its comparison of other national four-year private institutions is the chances for students to have meaningful dialogue with someone who comes from a different background than they do. Um, and so, um, and I think that's good. I think we celebrate that. What I wonder sometimes is um, at, at what cost is that to our students who come from diverse backgrounds? Um, because a lot of times, I, I mean, in my experience in my almost 20 years in higher ed, like when it comes to these conversations around diversity and race and culture, like, 
people of color have grown up their lives talking about race, culture, diversity. And a lot of white students coming to college might be the first time they're having some of these questions. I mean, a lot of a lot of white students who maybe didn't have a lot of exposure uh, to people who were different from them, like um, when they hear conversations about race and culture and diversity, they they think, oh, well, that's that's not for me. Like, um, uh, or I don't know what I can bring to the table, so therefore, I I don't know if I should go to the table. Like, so kind of thinking about. You know, because I think like learning from each other is an expression of love. Like um, if you take the time to learn from someone, but sometimes I feel like that burden falls unfairly on our students of color um, because not only do they have to learn, but they also have to teach. Um, and I'm just wondering what other people's experiences like that. Um, am I off? Um, what do we do about that? <laughs> so I think it comes back to being okay with teaching. <clears throat> do you know what I mean? Like I, I don't mind anyone asking me anything about my culture. And but when you really want that change, you're not inconvenienced by that. You're you're saying okay. It might be awkward. I, I feel like there's going to be a lot of awkward conversations or uncomfortable, I should say. It doesn't feel comfortable talking about race diversity and the atrocities that happened starting in 1619 in this country. It doesn't feel good. Does that mean it can't happen? No. I mean, we just have to push past those feelings of uncomfortability so we can teach other people. And shoot, I'm thinking of having like a buddy system, like when freshmen come in, you know, you pair someone up with someone of a different culture and you go, you know, you, you hang with them throughout the semester, you know, um, if people want to sign up, they can, you know, so you can invite people into your culture, you know what I mean? You talk about your food, your music, um, and you kind of make people aware of each other, because that's all it is. If, if you live around just your people, you're not really aware of other cultures, and you almost don't really care about other cultures, so this helps to invite students who want to know about different cultures kind of to do that. Um, and, and you have to be okay with teaching because there's gonna be a lot of teaching and you have to be okay with saying, oh, you know what, um, that's not, you know, so forth and so on. Or um, we don't usually, when you said that, I perceive it as this. And, you know, cause tone, text, how someone says something, it all it's all cultural. So it, it is gonna be a lot of teaching and I think people have to be okay with, with doing that teaching. I think at the same time, Steph, people have to be okay teaching, but our white students have to be okay learning. And so that kind of is an open-ended question. Um, I don't know where that goes with that. How do we get students to a place where they're ready to learn? How do we um, make, do we make that like a part of of uh, enrollment, you know, asking, you know, I don't, I don't know. That, I, I, how do we, how do we do that? That's not like necessarily a direct question to you. I'm just thinking like, I feel like that is a problem that we as ENC, we as uh, uh, the culture are the, um, the area that we're in. And we as honestly white America are asking 
for people to teach, but are not listening when teaching is happening. And so how do we get to a place where, where we can really say that we want to learn and want to learn? I think it's um, really important to listen. Um, Bubba had, in, had a, invited me to something and earlier today and uh, just want to go back to the point that I made earlier was just really to listen. Uh, I, I, feel, I, I personally feel that white students, um, if I listen to their response, about my issues, then I really believe then I'll be able to respond in a way that they're just, that will kind of really cause them to listen to me as well. Um, because it's one thing to, because I don't want to just throw things down people's neck and just be like, you need to listen to me because I've been oppressed for X amount of years and this and a third, but also to, you know, some people are blind to the fact that black people are oppressed or whoever because of their upbringing, because of their culture. But I really believe that listening is key. Not only listening to the one that is oppressed, but the one that is ignorant to the oppression. Um, so that way we can have some type of an angle because at the end of the day, you're trying to build respect. You want people to respect your culture. You want people to respect um, your heritage. And they might not, I might not agree with you, but I believe that we must respect each other no matter where we come from. So, uh, you know, with, with white students, um, I, I think it's important just to have a conversation um, because when we stop, and that's why I think this is so good that we're doing this, we're getting on Zoom, we're having the conversation because wherever there's silence, in a particular situation, I believe we we leave room for ignorance to come in, which then causes uh, potentially will cause hatred, which le leads to destruction. Um, so I believe it's important to continue the conversation. I think about our faith; um, we have to continue to grow in conversation with Christ, uh, with, with God the Father, to really understand. Um, who we're supposed to be each day because you know the more the more you spend time with God the more that you evolve as a person you you, you evolve and grow in love um, the love doesn't change it, the foundation of it remains the same but it's the way that is ex it, it is um, expressed in different type of way it's still the love of Christ but it's expressed in a different way sometimes too some people need a conversation but sometimes too in the next season it's not the conversation that's going to show that you love them but it's just you being present in times of, of troubles and, and and whatnot so I, I believe it's important to listen you know let, let, as you know as dr conley and mr jeff and, and shelby and bubba they're listening to us um, I would also love to listen to them and their experience because, it, yes, you know, I, Black people have suffered physically and mentally through uh, systematic oppression, but also, too, there is a psychological side 
that white people have not been able to address because you, you got to look at it. There's people who grew up in a system that has taught them to be racist and to feel that they are superior over somebody else because of their race. They need to relearn life. Um, and I believe that we also need to go through that process. It, you know, I believe it's also, it's true to stand for, you know, for black lives and also for things at ENC. But, but I also believe that as we are expressing who we are and our background, we must also be open to hear those who have never been in this position before to really take the time to learn from us. So, so that way we can grow connected together. So, you know, that, that, that's just my viewpoint on that. Just really listening to each other. So that way we can grow because you don't want a situation where they learn so much about you and then you become the oppressors. Um, so we want to listen to each other all the way. So yeah, Cindy, you look like you was going to say something. <laughs> No, I was just going to say, it honestly goes deeper than just listening, because anybody can say they're listening, but it's about listening to understand and listening to see the differences, acknowledge the differences and being okay with that. And just like you said, learning from each other and what I can pour into somebody, somebody else can pour into me. It's not just one sided like, hey, I'm the black person. I'm the one that's been going through X, Y, and Z. You need to listen to me. And that's it. It's both ways, because like you said, if it just goes one way, it's going to become another issue. It's about balancing and just being with each other, going through this with each other and just learning each other for the differences. Um, I think too many times we try to normalize the differences in different cultures and it's almost like, oh, yeah, well, this is how we do things, but it's okay. And it's about, no, we need to embrace the differences because it's beautiful that it's all, that we're all so different. So I think it's more of just listening, but more of understanding. I'm trying to, uh, I listened to a different podcast this morning on, on my, uh, my run this morning. Maybe I should admit that this isn't the only podcast I ever listened to, but. <laughs> I was listening to another one and I'm, I, and I'm trying to connect the two because the, the conversation on the podcast that I listened to this morning, which was also about matters of, of race and culture, um, the, the speakers were sort of expressing um, frustration, even exhaustion with the whole notion of listening and talking. And it, it, it was sort of, we've been, we've been, <laughs> we've been doing this for decades and centuries and can we get on with it and actually see some change? Um, so, I mean, certainly listening and learning is foundational to doing appropriate change and to building relationships. And I'm not, I'm not trying to disagree at all with anything that's been said. It's just the tone of this earlier conversation was different kind of this idea of can we stop talking about things and actually start doing things differently? And I would just, I'm wondering how anyone would respond to, um, help me connect the two conversations which are sounding very different from one another. Um, for me, I think it's hard to um, generalize the conversations. <clears throat> and what I mean is, um, so this conversation is we're saying that, you know, uh, at ENC, we'd like for people to listen 
you have to crawl before you can walk in my eyes. Yeah. I don't think we necessarily jump so quick into change because we haven't even had the conversation of anyone listening to someone. Yeah. But in another, in another arena, that could be the step that they need to take to act. We've heard you, we've listened, we've had the conversation. Now we need to act. Does action need to happen? Of course, definitely. I think that the conversation needs to be had though. Um, we're not having those spaces of listening. We're not having those spaces of connecting. And so we find ourselves, you know, in a place where it's like, okay, I know something needs to happen. So what's the first step? I think the first step is listening. Does action need to follow right after it? Oh yeah, definitely. Because I think a lot of, um, I think a lot of white faculty members, students, whoever, even at ENC are in the posture of listening and it's appreciated, it's welcomed. However, if we're just listening and then not doing anything, we're no better than those who protest, but don't go talk to their state, you know, legislators and don't go talk to their Congress people. It's the action step and then it's like the behind the scenes work. So I think listening is a good start. Um, am I frustrated? Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? I share the sentiments of those who are on the podcast. However, I'm looking at ENC. Okay, in this place, where do we need to start first? And I think listening would be the first step. And then we take our action steps from that listening. So we can kind of gather information like stats almost. Yeah. So it's your, it'd be your impressions that we haven't even done a good job of taking the first step of really listening and learning well. I, I, I don't think so. I think we had a good start, a, a good try. I think we're in the right direction. I think, like I said, incorporating different cultures and, and in places that they went before i think it's a good try and i think it's a good first step but mm -hmm. it does need to be elevated and we do need to create those those situations and places and spaces of really listening and hearing and, and that understanding yeah thank you mm -hmm. yeah, I, I i agree oh i'm sorry mr jeff go ahead no you're all right um i'll just tag on and then um i feel like there are pockets where that is happening, where listening is happening. Um, but it tends to be things that people like are interested in and they choose to opt into that conversation. Like, but I don't know if that's kind of a cross campus um, sort of a, uh, experience. And so, uh, yeah, so I think, I, I mean, I guess I'm saying, like, Steph, I, I agree with your assessment. I feel like um, in some ways and in some places, we've had some really good conversations. Like, um, uh, but I think also, I think some students have been in those conversations and they're like, okay, now what? Like, um, uh, so I feel that, I feel that, that tension of like, kind of groups that are ready to move and groups that like don't have even a clue what's going on. Like, um, so, sorry. I have a quick question. Is the um, intro to intercultural study class, is that open for everybody or is it just certain majors? If anybody knows. I know it's not a, I know it's not a general ed requirement. So, uh, so, I don't, it's not required. Uh, generally, most classes would be open, uh, but based on kind of the limits of people's schedules, you tend to take your gen eds and try to get in your major courses. Um, but, 
I wouldn't say, I don't think it's closed, like exclusively for majors, um, but I don't know how much incentive there is for uh, folks outside of the major. Okay, because I was going to say, I think that would be a really good class to start off with, especially for incoming freshmen who this is going to be their first exposure to a lot of this. Um, for me, I did enjoy that class, and it was a really good class, and it, it almost gives you a perspective, okay, this is where I'm at, and this is where I want to be. So I think that would be a really great start if that's a possibility to make it open for all freshmen. Yeah, I agree with you, Cindy. That, 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 that class, I took that class my, uh, the, the year that I transferred, uh, the, the spring of 2019, and that class was really helpful and, and you know, showed you how to really evangelize and really you know, really respect different people's ethnic back, their, little, their ethnicity, their background, their culture. So I, I, I think that should, yeah, I think, I think it should be something that is required because it teaches you how to, you know, respect people's um, backgrounds and whatnot. But, um, but to, you know, Dr. Conley, Conley's point to the action, um, I, I think it just really depends the place um, where this conversation is taking place uh, because, you know, if some people feel like they're not being heard at ENC and then your podcast was like, we were heard, they just didn't execute the plan. Then it's just like, okay, um, we, we have to do a whole different approach. Um, I don't think, I don't believe we should riot or loot because I think that's just people who are angry and they're fed up. They haven't been heard, so you know what? We're just gonna break things. Um, I don't think that's a good idea because I want to still get my degree. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I, think, I think it's it's very important to you know handle it accordingly. And whatnot. So yeah. Oh yeah, to um, to I guess Jack, Jeff, and Steph in the conversation going on uh, i'm jeff to your point of conversations are happening right little pockets of conversations are happening around campus and which is which is true that's that's a total truth but it reminds me of the famous saying that we all know um silence is deafening and actions speak louder than words and i think i think that Yes, those conversations are happening in pockets of places, but the silence is louder. The places where the conversation is not happening is louder, and it's overshadowing the conversations that have been happening. And so, yeah, I do think that, that yes, while conversations are happening, more need to be taking place sure. to a place where the conversations can be louder than the silence. And then action steps can be taken, as Steph was saying. And we were in a meeting earlier today. Uh, Andy and I were with some of the district leaders of the Mid-Atlantic Church having conversations about race in the church and what the church's response can be. And uh, Sam Vassell, who is the district superintendent of the Metro New York District, uh, ended our entire time together by saying, if you know what you're saying is right, 
then just say it and you will have to face the consequences following Jesus can get you crucified. And mm. so um, that statement out of our entire conversation is what really uh, resonated with me the most of, yeah, like we're all in this conversation, you know, saying our perspectives of how we think the church should change. But what it comes down to is if I know what I'm saying is right, then I need to say it and I need to face the consequences. And so when I think of places with deep rooted uh, systemic injustice, how do we get to a place where we can abolish that, where we can get to a place where that is no longer a thing. And what I think it comes down to is while, while, sorry, somebody keeps calling my phone and I'm stumbling over my words now. Uh, while Black Lives Matter and people of color are taking the steps that they need to take to get to a place where, um, you know, racism can be abolished. It takes the oppressor who put that in place to be able to add to the abolishment. It takes the oppressor's changed heart to be able to change their ways. And so with that in mind, I feel like when the action steps come, it needs to be more than, you know, our black students speaking up. It needs to be our white students who agree and our white students who care that also need to take a stand for their friends to see and for their families to change. And I think that is when we can find a deep seated change of racism. And also too, what, what I would definitely say is uh, even, I think it's also to, to address even the, uh, some subtle, I wouldn't even say subtle, the racism even in, uh, in, in, in chapel and this certain type of separation and, and, and worship and, and whatnot, I think we should embrace uh, worship and not try to make it into a race. Because sometimes I hear people, they were just like, oh, that's black worship, that's, that's Hispanic worship, that's white worship. And I'm just like, ah, that's, that doesn't even sound right. But just really just embracing all, you know, not, not wanna say all, but just really embracing worship for what God has called it to be. Uh, what she's just calling it to just be spirit and truth. So um, I, I think it's very important to really, you know, think about different songs that we sing, you know, and just really seeing how we can reach everybody in chapel because some people didn't, weren't raised on the typical or the traditional praise and worship song. Some people came to Christ because of a gospel rapper. You know what I'm saying? And some people came to Christ because they heard a Christian country music. So just really just embracing all areas of what God uses to bring forth his song through praise and worship. I think those are something that, that can really be helpful and can really just help us within the church to uh, you know, do that moving forward and, and, and in chapel and whatnot.
just having more of a variety to reach other students. And Thanks for that, Andy. Um, all right, everybody, we are getting to a place where we need to stop for this week's conversation. Um, everybody, thank you so much for joining us again this week uh, as we kind of continued in conversations that matter. Podcast listeners, if you would uh, join us next week as we continue this conversation and possibly dive more into the conversation of not only what ENC can do, but how do we ready ENC for the, for the possibility? All right. Thanks, everybody. You can Thanks. say bye. Thank you. Bye. -bye. bye, -bye. <laughs>